We're so happy to be together this afternoon. Thank you for coming out to be with us, especially if you're visiting uh, here at East Side. We have a number of visitors tonight, and we're thankful again for, for your presence. God has blessed us with really beautiful day, uh, so many other blessings through the day, and just to have the opportunity to be in his presence this evening and honor and glorify him is uh, especially, especially a good feeling. Well, tonight, as you see on the screen, the lesson is the Holy Spirit, your divine prayer partner. I don't know that we've ever thought about the Holy Spirit being our prayer partner, but I believe we'll see this evening that from a scriptural standpoint, he certainly is. Just a little bit of background uh, concerning the Holy Spirit and who it is that we're speaking about. Um, I think it's a little sad, frankly, that we don't speak more about the Holy Spirit than we do. I think we should speak more about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is an awful lot of information in scriptures about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does. He's found from Genesis to Revelation uh, over and over again, all sorts of uh, things He does uh, on our behalf uh, as the third person of the Godhead. And He is a person. The Bible uses personal pronouns to speak of the Holy Spirit. He, Him, His. He's not some glorified it. He's not some uh, impersonal force. He's not just power, although He is both force and power. He's not an element like vapor or water. He is not the Bible. He is not equated with God's Word, although He gave us God's Word. Delivered it to us through inspiration and ones that God chose. He is, in a lot of ways, like our Heavenly Father and like His Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is treated as a person in Scripture. The Bible tells us that He can be blasphemed, He can be lied to, He can be resisted, He can be insulted. The Bible says that He has attributes that only a person could have. He instructs us, He speaks, He teaches, He reminds, He testifies, He convicts, He guides. He forbids, he leads, he witnesses, he intercedes, and he has a mind. He knows, he searches, he teaches. And the Holy Spirit has feelings. He, he loves, according to Romans 15 and verse 30. He grieves, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 30. He yearns jealously, according to James 4 and verse 5. So all of these things we know about the person of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and we could preach many lessons for many days just talking about the person of the Spirit and these various aspects just of His person. But um, the lesson tonight, as many lessons this year, has to do with prayer and His particular part that He plays relative to our prayers, the important part that He prays, the irreplaceable part that the Holy Spirit plays in our prayer life, whether we recognize him doing it or not, he is doing what we're going to be talking about this evening. I'm going to warm up to this topic uh, gradually, I guess, just by saying a couple of things that we've already said in, in lessons this year about some of the things the Holy Spirit does relative to prayer. He is the one who enables us to call God our Father. Uh, a couple of passages very clear about this. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law, 
that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the Holy Spirit uh, is a part of God's plan, enabling us to be adopted as God's children. Because you are sons, verse 6 says, God has sent forth the Holy Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew Aramaic word for Father, of course. We've talked in a lesson about that not too long ago. But look also at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, where Paul says something quite similar. Uh, The phrasing is a little bit different and maybe even a little more helpful to us. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. He's talking about being sons of God. Colton Richter gave us a really good lesson uh, not too long ago about this adoption process that we have been privileged to be a part of if we are children of God, how He adopts us. And what a wonderful thing that is. So many in this room have had experiences either being adopted or adopting children. I know in our, our family that's true. Uh, it's, it's such a, a precious thing to be chosen, to be loved. Uh, and to have the opportunity to choose and love someone is chosen. But we are, we are chosen of God, and we are adopted by God, and the Holy Spirit has an important role to play in that, according to what Paul will say here in Romans 8. For he says in verse 15, <clears throat> You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So it is, by the spirit of adoption whom we have received, that we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. So there are two points I need to make here. The first of them is that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, The text tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who obey God. If we've obeyed God by becoming children of God, then the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And one of the things that we've just learned is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit enables us to call on God as Father. And you may remember that in Jesus' instruction to us, about prayer, Matthew chapter 6, for instance, he says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven. May I suggest to you that if it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to call upon God as our true Father, and if it is the case that we are to pray to God as our Father, as Jesus instructed in Matthew chapter 6 and 9, the Holy Spirit is thus indispensable to our prayer life. He enables us to call God Father, and we must call upon God as Father in prayer. If we had knew nothing else about the Holy Spirit and prayer, we would know that much from these plain passages of Scripture. It is by Him that we call upon God as Father, and when we call upon God in prayer, we're to call Him Father. That's really very simple, isn't it? Really very simple. And so every Christian who's obeyed the gospel has been given the Holy Spirit to enable him to do this. Jesus taught us to address God, as we said, in this way. Human beings need divine help in prayer. I don't think we really appreciate that fact as we ought to. 
my observation is that people all through the world who have some notion that there's a God in heaven feel like that they can just uh, willy-nilly anytime they want just walk into the throne room of God and, and address God as if they're talking to their next door neighbor. That's not a biblical picture of prayer. And that picture of prayer does not appreciate at all who God is and who we are in His sight. We are, to quote a Marvel movie, puny humans. We are puny humans. And who are we to even address God? The creator of all. The almighty. The one to whom we owe our very life and breath every second. The idea should not be, I think if we understood who God is, the idea should not be, well yeah, we can just go talk to God anytime we want to. But the idea ought to be, to begin with, before you become a Christian especially, how in the world can this sinful creature even have the permission to speak to God at all? That should be our question. And it is a problem that righteous men, even of old, grappled with. I turn your attention to the book of Job. And I want you to notice that both Job and Elihu deal with this problem. We know the story of Job. He was a righteous man. God allowed Satan to afflict him. Job lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. He was in misery. He has three friends that come to try to comfort him. They're miserable comforters. They can't work through with Job exactly what's going on, what Job ought to do. Job is defending his integrity. He's saying, God's not doing this to me because I'm a bad person. I'm not a bad person. But I don't know what to say to God. I don't know how to approach him. I don't even know how to talk to him. Not about this especially. And so we go to Job chapter 9 and verses 14 and following. And listen to some of his words along this line. How then can I answer him? And choose my words to reason him. For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. Here is a man who is a righteous man. Who has a real need in his life. Who'd like to talk to God about this. But he's not too sure he can. He's grappling with how he can possibly do that. And if he even attempted it, would God, would he, could he even believe that God would listen to him? That's where Job is. As you go on in Job 9, you see very clearly in verses 32 and following the problem that Job sees. I hope you see this tonight. He says about God that he is not a man as I am. Please understand that God is not a man as you are. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts and our our thoughts. He is so far above and beyond us, so completely transcendent that, that we as mortal beings 
would be presumptuous indeed to assume that we could just walk into his presence and have expect him to hear us. He is not a man as I am, Job says in Job 9 and verse 32, that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. That's the problem. Job, as a man, can't really get to God, the eternal, the immortal, the almighty. And there's nobody who can work as a go-between, Job thinks. There's no mediator between God and man. Of course, what we know is that Job didn't know (laughs) that there would be a mediator. And that we have one today, and we'll talk about him in just a little while. Job didn't have that. There was no way that Job could see that he could just go into God's presence and talk with God about this huge problem in his life. But a little bit later on in the book of Job, if you go over to Job chapter 23, Job seems to say that if he could find God, he would have the words to speak to him. I think he's a little bit presumptuous there. I'm not sure that he would have on his own. He says in Job 23 and verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. We, we talked just recently about how Christians, we have this privilege of going right into the throne room of God. We, our prayers are right there in front of him. Jo, that's what Job wanted. If I could find him and I could come to his seat, he says, I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Later on, Job confesses he was talking nonsense when he said this. When you get to the end of the book of Job. He wouldn't have. When God starts to speak to him at the end of the book of Job, he realizes, I, I, I said a bunch of stuff, I should just keep my mouth shut. I can't talk. As you go through the book of Job, and again, most of the mature Christians here tonight have some familiarity with all this. Job's three friends are no help at all, and they're off base on nearly every other thing they say. But you get to the end of their dialogues, and uh, an individual enters the scene by the name of Elihu. Elihu is a younger man than Job and his friends. He's put off talking until they were all finished, until they said their piece. Elihu, we're not told exactly, but he really seems to represent what God would have men say. <laughs> he, he is uh, a person who's much more aligned with God's truth. And in fact, when God begins to speak, he says much the same things that Elihu says. He, he, he sort of has Elihu say a lot of it first. And so we come to Elihu, and you, you have to remember that Elihu is answering Job. When he starts talking in chapter 32, he's speaking to Job and his three friends, but particularly addressing Job and the things that Job has said. And he's trying to enlighten Job about, you know, some of the things that Job was having trouble with. And he says to Job, then in Job 37 and verse 19, is where I am, he says to Job, teach us what we should say to him. If you think you've got words to talk to to God, Job, just tell us what they are. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Elihu realizes he's groping in the dark here as a human being, and Job is too, and neither one of them know what to do to talk to God. 
Should he be told that I wish to speak? Should somebody inform God that I'm ready to speak to him now? Uh, God, your, your patient is in the lobby, you know, ready to speak to you now. Is, is that, that's not, that's not going to happen. Elihu says, if a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. He's right about that. Surely he'd be swallowed up. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it's bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. If man can't even look up at the sun, how can they look at God? How can they even lift their heads up to behold him who dwells, as Paul says to Timothy, in inapproachable light? Unapproachable light. The word unapproachable means something. You cannot approach. God dwells in unapproachable light. I I hope, if you have never felt this problem before, that you are in this moment feeling it. If you've never really contemplated who you are as a human being and who God is in contrast to that, And the real barrier that is between you and him regarding communication. How can... I think sometimes that our cat wants to talk to me. Right? He says stuff sometimes. Like he's trying to communicate. But the difference between me and my cat is nothing like the difference between me and God. I mean, if I went all the way down to an ant trying to communicate to me, one of those roly-poly bugs trying to communicate to me, it still wouldn't be, it still wouldn't be a big enough difference, a big enough contrast. Puny humans indeed. Who are we to enter the throne room of God? You see the problem? Even if we were holy enough, We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We don't understand the language of God well enough. How can we communicate with God? Please see this problem that both Elihu and Job saw. I want you to see it because I want you to understand how the Holy Spirit solves it and why he is our true prayer partner. The Holy Spirit guides us through God's word into prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul in that context has been talking about the armor of God which God supplies us to fight against the devil. And he says, winding up that discussion in verse 17, he says that we're to take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, comma, still the same sentence, (laughs) take the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Spirit has given us the Word, it is our weapon against Satan, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. There's a connection 
between the Spirit, the Word of God, and me approaching God in prayer. Because the Spirit in God's Word instructs me and guides me in doing that. All of the lessons that we've had this year on prayer have been founded in the Word of God that the Spirit gave us. All of the admonitions, the commands, the discussion of how prayer works have been given us by the Spirit. We would know nothing of how to approach God without the Spirit's work. Take the sword of the Spirit. Pray. See, <laughs> next thing. Praying. Leads you right into it. Praying in the Spirit. I believe that praying in the Spirit is that and more. In Jude, verses 20 and 21, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. As we build ourselves up in the faith, a faith, by the way, which was once for all delivered to the saints by the Spirit. As we build ourselves up in that, we're to be praying in the Spirit. This then is why, I believe, Jesus told his followers to pray to be given the Holy Spirit, or that when they prayed, they would be given the Holy Spirit. See how this is worded in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Jesus, talking with his disciples about prayer, says to them, and this is winding up a context, I'll go back and look at the context in a minute, but I just want to read this verse right now. Verse 13, If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? All of this in the context of our prayer lives. If you back up in Luke 11 then, what you see is uh, this rendition of the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, in verses 2, 3, and 4 of Luke chapter 11. Not the same uh, situation where Jesus gave it in Matthew chapter 7. Here we have it on a different occasion, same teaching. I've said this before, I'm very thankful that Jesus taught exactly the same thing in different places. I don't feel so bad when I preach the same sermon twice, you know, that I preach even the same place or another place. Jesus did that a lot, apparently. And here, you have that again, so you've got that prayer, verses 2, 3, and 4. And then he talks about the friend at midnight coming, and because of the persistence, he's granted what he asked for, and he's teaching us to be persistent in prayer. And then he says in verse 9, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. If a man asks, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Fathers want to give good gifts to their children. Loving fathers want to give the very best for their children. Willing to sacrifice so their children can have the best. Jesus knew that. 
And he wants us to know that that's how our Heavenly Father is. And it's on top of all of that then that we have the verse I read to begin with a second ago. Verse 13 again. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We've already seen all God's children have been given the Holy Spirit, all who obey Him. Acts 5 and verse 32. God has given us the giver. I preached a lesson by that title just almost exactly two years ago. Well, not exactly. It was March of 2021. Which maybe not everybody saw or heard because I think it was an online lesson. But it was based on this passage, that God gives the giver. We, we pray to God for food. But see, God doesn't just give us food. He gives us the grocery store. The Holy Spirit is the giver. The giver of so many gifts. He is the person in the Godhead who is the conduit of God's gifts. Miraculous in the first century or otherwise. That's all over scripture. God doesn't just give the gifts. He gives the giver of the gifts. And that's who we are using in prayer. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the giver of the gifts. To explain that a little bit further, let me notice another passage with you. As I said, the same teaching is found in Matthew chapter 7. And this particular line is worded differently by Jesus there. Matthew 7 and verse 11 Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Instead of the Holy Spirit, you notice the difference there. How much more will your Father not give the Holy Spirit there, but give good things to those who ask Him? And that's, that's the point in both places, though. That God is going to give you good things, and the way He's going to do that is through the work of the Holy Spirit in prayer. God gives the giver. And giving the Holy Spirit to all who obey Him. God gives the giver. This brings us then to understanding more of what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. Please turn there. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. talking about our expectation of eternal life and the fact that no matter what we have to go through, nothing can be, be compared with uh, the glories that are going to be revealed in Christ. Romans 8.23, not only that, but we also have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. 
want you to notice the concept of adoption, which we've already touched on a little bit tonight, and the connection to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into this relationship with God where we can call Him Father. We saw that in Galatians uh, 4 and here again in Romans 8 a little bit earlier. So the Holy Spirit brings us into this relationship where we can call God Father. But the, the finalization, if you will, of the adoption is not here on this earth, it's in eternity. That's where we finally receive the redemption of our body and spend eternity with God the Father in close communion. And so that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, we who have received the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? If you already... If you already have it, you don't hope for it anymore, right? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, then, he says, the Holy Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We are weak. In what way? We are weak for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So said Job. So said Elihu. So says the New Testament. We are weak. We do not know what we should pray for as we are. Who helps us? The Holy Spirit. When Paul says we do not know what, we do not know what we should pray for. And we do not know how. We do not know how what we ought to pray for as we ought. That's the what and the how. We don't know. We don't know the what and the how of prayer. But the Holy Spirit, what? Intercedes for us. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit Himself, again, this is the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And so, this is the solution to the dilemma of Job and Elihu so long ago. The Holy Spirit helps us with the what and the how of our prayers going before God. Now please understand, and we understand, as we suggested in a, and talked about in a lesson a few weeks ago, it is Jesus Christ that has opened up this way for us to get to God. He is our mediator. He's the one that Job needed to lay hands on both him and God and bring them together in the same room, so to speak. Christ busted open the gates of heaven so that we may go right into the throne room of God with our prayer. But it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to accomplish that. Hebrews 4 and verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows we can't get to God. He knew we couldn't get to God. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace where we couldn't even think about God because of the work of Jesus Christ we can come boldly to the throne of grace 
that we may also obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so I'm boldly before the throne of grace. What am I going to say? I don't have the words. What am I even supposed to be praying for? I'm not sure I know. But the Spirit searches the hearts. And the Spirit knows what I'm trying to express and what my needs are. And when I come to the throne room of God, the Spirit intercedes with groanings which cannot be uttered in divine language that I cannot understand. The Spirit communicates the essence of my heart to God Almighty. What a life. What a life in Christ we have, brothers and sisters. What grace we have been given that we might speak to God. In John chapter 7, Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem to a feast. And on the last day of that feast, in verse 37, he cries out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's he talking about? He spoke this concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But we have been given the Spirit, who are children of God. We have something Job could not have imagined. And Elihu saw the great need of, that out of our hearts should flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit is your divine prayer partner. When we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us, to intercede for us, and to strengthen us, we are doing 100% biblical things. 100%. We are promised that the Holy Spirit will help us. He helps us. He intercedes for us. And He strengthens us. We'll see that in just a second. And when we pray for those things, We are praying according to the will of God. And we are understanding, maybe better than in any other way, what God is allowing us to do in prayer. And so here it is. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul is praying. He's praying for the Ephesians. I think... Just a casual reading of this text would bear that out. So we're entering into the middle of a prayer, really, that he's praying for the Ephesians. Here's what he says. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I want you to take notice of a couple of words here. 
I'm going to see if I can point out them on the screen. Be strengthened with His might, power, through His Spirit. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Where does that come from? The strengthening of the Spirit in the inner man. That's grammar. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Here is the power. The Spirit is called in the Old Testament the finger of God. He's the, he's the one of the three that does this work for us. Praise God. Pray to God. And pray to God with confidence and boldness, knowing that the Spirit's helping you all through it. This is my prayer. That our prayers will be empowered with such strength through the Spirit that indeed God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we might ask or think. I might be talking to somebody tonight who doesn't really have that power of prayer in your life because you're not in Christ. Obedience to the gospel is required to have this sort of access to God. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you named the name of Jesus? Turned away from sin? Been baptized for the remission of your sins? Why not tonight? Let your life be empowered. May rivers of living water flow from you. You can make it that way. God will help you. Please come while we stand and while we sing.